I love the imagery of Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Like this just visual picture that paints for me of just the power of Jesus that at his name, the darkness flees. Um, We are in a series titled Out of Context, and we are looking at God's Word, and um, we're taking a look at Scripture and, 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 and asking ourselves some questions about verses that sometimes maybe there's more to the story than what we understand or know or are aware of um, in, in that regard. But before we jump into today's message, um, there was an insert in your bulletin that, that said Neighborhood Splash Party. And we are blessed once again this year to be able to kind of highlight at the last Wednesday of July a moment to celebrate um, engaging our community and uh, to love on some of our neighborhood kids. And so July 24th, uh, we will be having inflatable slides and all sorts of other fun things right out here. And um, it'll be an opportunity for us to engage our community. And we could use a little bit of help in doing that. And so um, there's three ways that you can get involved in this. They're on your Connect card as a next step. One is if you um, can smile and greet somebody and take down some information, we could use a few people to help just greet and and gather some information as as people are arriving. And so we need help on that front. Um, From 530 to 7, we could use a few extra hands, just practically speaking, to run some of the slides and some of the games and some of the food things. And then at the end of the night at 7 o'clock, um, if you don't like kids and you think that you want nothing to do with kids but you would like to serve, um, you can show up and help clean and, and, and clean up and, and put things away and have things go back where they are. But um, we have three ways you can serve that night. And so um, if you're available July 24th and would like to be a part of engaging our local neighborhood and community here, um, please look at signing up to serve on Splash Night. Um, so today... We are jumping into out of context, and, 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 and we're going to be looking at a verse that truthfully is probably um, one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. Um, it's a great verse. It's often quoted at graduations or other big monumental life events. Um, it's a verse that's used a lot of times for a- encouraging people, um, and it's a great, great verse. And, and somebody earlier this week um, stopped me and asked me specifically if I was going to be preaching on this verse because they didn't want me to mess this verse up for them. And so um, my goal is not to mess this verse up for you. There's a TV show called Adam Ruins Everything. This is not Paul Ruins Everything moment. I don't want to ruin this Bible verse for you. Um, But what I do want to do, because this verse is beautiful, I just want to unpack it a little more in depth. I want you to help have a little more um, understanding to the context of where it's said, and, and hopefully it will help you to have an even greater appreciation for the message of it. And here's the verse, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Beautiful verse. Love the verse. It's a verse that I quote quite frequently because it's a powerful verse. The problem is if this verse is delegated to just being a little Instagram post, a little motivational poster, a a little statement to wear on a t-shirt or put on a bumper sticker or drink your favorite coffee out of, Um, we can get this verse a little bit out of the context of where it's from and we can unintentionally or maybe intentionally have some bad understanding of what this means because here's where this verse can go awry because this verse says that God knows the plans he has for us and that those plans are to prosper us and not to harm us and they're to give us a hope and a future. So if that's God's plan for us and his promise to us, um, what do we do with this verse if our life jumps off the train tracks? 
if things tragically unfold in our life, if things don't go the way we want, if situations go astray, if difficulties come our way, if we walk through trials, what do we make of this verse? Because if that's a declaration to you and I, and that's the end of the story, then if I'm walking through trials or troubles or whatever else, then, then if my life doesn't look like plans to prosper and not harm and to give a hope in a future, well, that must mean that God doesn't really love me, that I'm not really one of his kids. Like, I mean, that must mean some pretty, pretty negative things about the nature of God and his relationship with me then. So I want to read through this in context and give a little bit better understanding of what's being said in this verse, because it is a beautiful verse. And it can be applied in a lot of beautiful ways in our life. But we don't want to make sure we, we want to make sure we don't train wreck this verse. So we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priest, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after Kim Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilakai, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to king... That is a lot of hard names, by the way. <laughs> sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the letter said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters... Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in, numbers, increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So this scripture we're looking at is in the book of Jeremiah. It's chapter 29. That means there's 28 chapters before it. So there's been a little bit of time elapsed in, in, in accounting for God's people and what's happening here. And so let me just catch us up to speed. In Jeremiah's lifetime, he was a prophet that was sent by God to basically bring a message to the people of Israel, Israelites, to the Israelites. And his message was basically, you guys have lost your way. You're not living according to God's principles and practices. You're doing life your way, not God's way. And God is calling you to change. He's calling you to repent. He wants you to get back on track and make him the priority. And he wants you to live your life the way he's directed you to. 
And the people largely rejected Jeremiah's message. And so the first 29 chapters are basically an account of how that unfolds. Um, And then we get to chapter 29 where Jeremiah is basically speaking to the people about the consequence they're facing for their their rebellion, their waywardness, their, their faults, and their decisions to not do what God had called them to. And so we find out right off the bat when we read this scripture that this scripture is not to us, but to the exiles. All right, verse 1 says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to who? The surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile. So unless you're sitting in this room right now and you were carried into exile, this text is not specifically to you. It's to the exiles that were carried off by Nebuchadnezzar. So this scripture is not to us, but to the exiles. So it brings up an important part that not all scripture is written to us. There's a reality that there are moments in Scripture where God is writing to a specific group of people in a specific moment, and he's giving them specific direction or advice or promises. And this falls into that category. It is not to us directly, but the beautiful part of Scripture is it's all for us. So it is not directed to us, but it is all for us, which means that there are things we can learn from this. There are things that we can grow from this. There are ways that this verse, these, this text can help us walk out our faith. And I think the way this begins is by recognizing that we also live as exiles. So this text is written to a group of people who are exiles, and we live in exile. 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... What Peter is saying in that verse, and and, and what I want to make sure we understand is that if we put our faith in Christ, then this world is not our home. We live as exiles. And if you think back, and if you know the beginning of God's word, you realize that we weren't made for the world we're living in. We were made to live in the perfection of relationship with God in the garden. All right, so Adam and Eve started out in this beautiful garden that God created for them with all of his provision and protection And yet, they rebelled against God. And what did he do? He had to have them leave the garden. They became exiles from being in a right relationship with God. There became a fracture in that relationship because of our sin. And so what that means is that we all live as exiles. None of us live where we belong, but if we put our faith in Christ, what that means is now we have a promise of a future home in eternity spent in right relationship with God. And what it means is in, the, in, the men, in, in this meantime, of this short little span of our life here on this earth, we live as exiles. We are foreigners. Like, we are not part of this world. We were made for something more, which is really, really good news because this world has a lot of issues. So the question becomes, what are, what are we to do while we're in exile? Well, there's three things you can do while you're in exile. You can assimilate. So if you were in exile, you could just decide to, practically speaking, if you're the people of, uh, of, of, that Jeremiah is writing to, you could have assimilated. You could have become like the Babylons. You could have lived in their culture. You could have taken upon the things that they, you could have ate their food. You could have made the things that they found priority the priority, right? Like you could have started worshiping their gods. You could have assimilated into their culture. The same is true for us. 
as exiles, we can try to assimilate into the culture around us. We can try to look like the culture, act like the culture, be the culture. We can take upon ourselves the same priorities as the cultures, and we can make the same things that people make the little G gods, as I call them. We can make those things our little G gods, and our world can revolve around things other than our creator because we want to assimilate into the world. The second option they had is they could isolate themselves. They could isolate themselves and they could say, well, we're just going to try to not interact any more than we absolutely have to with the Babylons, Babylonians. We're going to hunker down. We're going to create little holy huddles. And we're going to turn our back to the best of our ability and ignore the fact that we're in captivity. And we're just going to try to pretend like this is a bad dream. Um, and there's a reality we can do that. We as Christians can isolate ourselves. We can form little holy huddles. We can pretend like the world doesn't exist outside of our little gatherings. And we can kind of say to heck with everybody else. And we just want to pretend like everything is hunky-dory. Or the third thing we can do in exile is we can permeate. Permeate the culture and the society we live in. I love the word permeate because it's not a word we use a lot. But it's a word that... I think conveys very clearly what I think we're called to do in exile. Permeate is this idea that, like, think about when it rains. It's rained a lot here lately. When it rains, what happens? Everything gets wet. Like, everything gets wet. It saturates the soil. Everything is impacted and affected by that rain, right? Like, so we're called to permeate the society that we live among. So we're exiles who are called to permeate the culture around us. That means that, that, that when we are in this world, that people should see and recognize that we are different and that they should start to understand and see in us that, the, that we have different values. We have different priorities. That ultimately, we have different gods than they worship. Right? Like we have a God versus all the things that they deem to be el numero uno in their lives. So how do we unpack this scripture? How do we unpack this reality that we're exiles? How does this look like for us to be a people who permeate the world around us? Well, I'm just going to walk through this scripture and let it tell us a little bit about God's plans. And the first thing is this. God's plans often interrupt our plans. God's plans often interrupt our plans. In verse 4 it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Think about being part of the people that have been carried into exile. Your mindset would have been, how dare these horrific barbarian Babylonians come to Jerusalem and conquer our city and, 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 and enslave us and drag us back with them. Like That would have been your mindset. And God is making it clear to them that this is his plan. To all those I... I carried into exile, I being God. God allowed them. God actually, God actually created this event in their lives. It's a reminder that God's plans often interrupt our plans because God cares more about us than to allow us to live out the plans that we make for our lives. All right, God's people in this story were in rebellion to God, and God chose to not allow them to stay in rebellion, and he used the people of Babylon, 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 um, he used them to grab the people 
and take them into exile because he was wanting to teach them something. He was wanting to teach them something about the false idols they had created and the things that they were pursuing that weren't of God. And so he was using this as his plan. And so God's plans often interrupt our plans. 20 years ago, I thought my future was as a financial advisor. All right? 20 years ago, if you'd have asked Paul to map out the 5, 10, 15, 20-year plan, it would look nothing like my life. Because God's plans interrupted my plans, and God stepped in, and he redirected me and my life. And if I were to ask you guys, you could give testimonies of countless things that you thought in your mind were going to happen certain ways until God stepped in and interrupted your plans. And if you read through Scripture, what you realize is really story after story after story of people whose lives are interrupted by God's plans. I mean, think about Noah. Noah's just doing his deal, trying to honor God. Next thing you know, he's building an ark, being ridiculed by people, turning into the world's biggest zookeeper on a boat. All right, like, like Noah's life was interrupted. That was not his plans. Like when Noah was 14 years old, he didn't like map that out as his life goal. Abraham, Abraham was just kind of like doing life and then God told him to, to, to pick up and to move away and Abraham was faithful, and God made a covenant with Abraham. And, and Scripture says that Abraham believed God's promise, and it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. What was the promise that God made to him? God made a promise to a man who couldn't have children that one day he would be the father of the nations. God interrupted his plan. Joseph in the Old Testament, there's this character, Joseph. He's the youngest son. Um, and, and, and man, Joseph was spoiled, and he had everything he wanted. Life was great. And I guarantee you, as a spoiled, rotten, little youngest child, I'm kidding a little bit, not too far off the truth, he had a plan for his life. He had a plan for his life. And yet God's plan interrupted his plan. I guarantee you, Joseph didn't map out his brothers selling him into slavery. Joseph didn't map out someone accusing him of rape and then having him thrown into prison. Like Joseph didn't map any of that stuff out, yet God interrupted his plans to then use him to save the nation. And I could go on and on and on. There's no book in the Bible that starts with man's plans. Every book in the Bible centers around God's plan for man. And yet so often we get that backwards. So God, God's plans will often interrupt our plans. And God's plans will often call for us to settle in where we've been planted. Verse 5 through 6, 5 and 6 says, Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, have sons and daughters who will have sons and daughters, right? Like don't decrease in number. Like he's telling them, like settle into where you're at. Like, permeate the culture that you live in. Become part of it, but don't let it make you become them. You continue to live out your life in a way where you affect those around you. But start doing business. Start making a life for yourself. Settle down where you've been planted. God's plan is for us to settle in. And I think we live in a day and age where we, we, we're becoming more and more of a nomadic society where we want to move and change and we want our situations to look different. 
I think for our young people, like it's become the norm that like you don't settle in. But, but, but I'm telling you, when you read through God's word, God calls us to settle in and then plant ourselves there for his grace and for his mercy and to live out our life in relationship with other people. And so sometimes if we're going to be people who permeate the culture around us, it means we have to settle in and be, a, be interactive with that society. It means we have to do life with other people. It means we need to have a, a, a job, a career, a, a place where we're plugging ourselves in so that we can affect and we can share the love of Christ. So God's plan is for us to settle in. And when we settle in, God's plan is for us to help others flourish. Think about this verse for just a moment. These people have been conquered by an invading army, dragged away from their homes, everything they had left behind, forced to move to this new city and be servants within this new country. And this is what God tells them. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. It's a little counterintuitive. Let's just be honest. Like, if I was conquered by another people and dragged away, like, my thought wouldn't be, hey, you know what, I want to make these people's lives great and wonderful. But that's God's direction. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So what that means for you and I as people living as exiles and foreigners in this world is it means that we need to be a people who seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has sent us to, which he's carried us into, the world around us. So the world around us is not the enemy. It's, it's, it's not to be this thing that we fight against and we rail against and that we campaign against. We're called to settle in and to permeate and to, and to live out the values of God's word in front of others. But we're called to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. What does it look like to seek the peace and prosperity of the city that you and I have been called into? Lake Placid, Sebring, Avon Park, the world at large. Like, what does it look like for us to seek the peace and prosperity of the city? Well, ultimately, what is it that's caused your life to flourish? If you're a believer, the thing that has made your life flourish is what Christ has done for you. The the thing that has brought peace and prosperity into your life, and I'm not talking about financial prosperity. I'm talking about joy and peace. The thing that's brought that into your life is Christ. It's what he did for you on a cross. Because here's the reality. We once were enemies. We once were in rebellion. We once were were pursuing everything and anything other than God. All of us background of our lives is that, man, I was living for myself and I was trying to make myself the center of the universe. I was, for all practical purposes, serving as my own God. We lived in rebellion to him. And then somewhere along the line, our eyes were opened up to the fact that, man, that there's something broken about that pursuit. There's something about that that's incomplete. There's something about that that leaves us lacking. And our eyes were opened to God's love for us. And our eyes were opened to the truth that God pursued us so much that his son willingly chose in obedience to his father to go to a cross to die to pay the price for my sins. And that's what brings prosperity into my life. That's what brings flourishing into my life. And that's what we're called to bring to the people that we live with, the world at large. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
One of the greatest moments as a church family is when we get to celebrate baptism. Why? Because it's a declaration that someone is making that they were once lost, but Christ has stepped into their life, and they now have a hope and a joy and a peace that Christ has brought upon their life, and they want to live for him. And we celebrate that, and it's exciting, and it's wonderful, and it's, I mean, it's powerful because it's a reminder that when, when, when they flourish, we flourish, right? Like when we see God move in others' lives, like it's a positive. It's not a negative. Because we were once enemies. So God's plan is for us to help others flourish. The next part of this text is that God plan, God's plan provides protection from deception, So verse 8 through 9 is kind of this interesting moment in this text. It says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So to understand why this is being spoken is is God is giving them protection because there were a lot of people trying to deceive them. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 28, go when you get home, read it. Um, it, There's this amazing account of this false prophet, Hananias, and he falsely prophesies um, what he thinks everybody wants to hear. And he tells everybody, I've heard from God, and this is what God says. Within two years, he is going to come and he is going to break the, Babylon, the Babylonian empire, and we are going to get to go home, and everything's going to be great and wonderful again. And Jeremiah says, that would be awesome, but that's not what God has said. And he basically tells the people that by the end of the year, Hananias is going to die, and in the seventh month, Hananias dies, which is pretty just crazy and wild. But man, like... All right, got my attention, right? Like that dude was the false prophet. Um, But here's the thing I want us to hear in this. Hananias was spreading false good news. He was telling the people what they wanted to hear. He was telling them that victory's coming, that God is going to prosper you. You're, You're meant for a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life of prosperity. This text says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. And here's the part that's incredibly important for us. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. We live a day and age where there are people that will teach messages that don't line up with God's word. And they build whole ministries and whole groups of people that follow them. And they build it around this principle of teaching people what the people want to hear. And they preach a false good news. And so in order to gather a group of people to follow them, in order to gather a group of people to financially support them, in order to gather a group of people to give them notoriety, they tell the people what they know the people dream of. And what do the people dream of in our country? Wealth, money, stuff, prosperity, being self-sufficient, being independent, being the, the, the makers of their own future, right? And so we have false prophets that try to deceive us. But thankfully, God's plan provides protection from deception. God is very open and honest with us about what it looks like to follow after him. And he tells us in in many, many places, but just as a few examples, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he tells us, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In Philippians first one, chapter 1, 29, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 
See, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. God doesn't pull any punches. He makes it very clear to us that when we seek to follow him, that he has a plan for us, and it's a good plan, but along the way, he's going to grow us, and he's going he's to mature us. He's going he's to change who we are, and in that process, man, he is going to get away. He's going to rub off of us the things that aren't godly, right? Like the things that aren't truly of God, he's going to try to rub that off of us, iron sharpening iron kind of thought, right? And that's not a pleasant thing. It's not always going to be easy. And so often, he's going to use difficult trials to grow us into his likeness. So that's the false good news we were talking about. That's the false good news we have to be aware of, but the truth is there's a real good news, right? Like there is a real good news. And the real good news isn't that God will save us from trials. It's that he saves us from our sins. So we have protection from deception because we know the real, true good news. God's plan also includes hope beyond our circumstances. Hope beyond our circumstances. Now we're kind of honing into verse 11 here. Verse 10 says, This is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Okay. Think about being one of the elders. Elders usually means that you're older, by the way. You're one of the elders, you're one of the people who've been carried off into captivity, and you're hearing this message um, about what God has to say for you, and then you get to this verse where it says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, you know what's going to happen to most of the people in 70 years? They're going to be dead, all right? Like, most all of them are going to be deceased, all right? So, like, just let that soak in, because that is the setting for verse 11, so, so God is telling the people, I will come to you and I will fulfill my gracious promise, his gracious promise to bring you back to this place, but it's not going to be you because it's going to happen 70 years from now. And then he makes, he makes this declaration, this, he declares this principle about his nature. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So this plan to prosper me, to not harm me, this plan to give me a hope and a future, it's got to be more than about my situation. It's got to be more than about my circumstances. Because he's telling this to a group of people who will never, ever actually realize it. And then he goes on in verse 12 to 13 to speak to the real promise that's spoken of in verse 11. Then you will call upon me, And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That should sound really familiar because Jesus spoke a lot of words just like that. See, the the, the good news, the the message of, of 11, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, is really wrapped up in this, this truth that if we seek him, if we pursue him, if we're willing to turn our life over to that and we are living, willing to surrender to him, that we will find him. We'll find him when we seek him with all our heart. Like That's the good news of the message. It's, 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 the, it's the gospel message really wrapped up in a nutshell being spoken of 600 years before it happens. See, this verse isn't a promise of immediate prosperity. 
It's more of a promise that God will use the difficult times, the tough days. And the truth is that these people never saw the big picture that God had in mind. See, we get to read this from the perspective of someone who is living thousands of years after this moment. See, they could never have envisioned that this carrying them off to Babylon would ultimately lead to one of their own, Daniel, um, catching the eyes of the people because while he was living in captivity, he still lived for God, and he refused to, to, to assimilate and to act the way the people wanted him to act. And Daniel lived for God boldly amidst the people, and he permeated their society to a place that, that, it's, that as he as he got older, he was actually named the chief of the spiritual leaders. So this foreign country, Babylon, who came and conquered Jerusalem, dragged off all these people. Ultimately, one of these Jewish boys becomes promoted to the position of the chief of the spiritual leaders. So only God could orchestrate something like that. Something else that happens in all this is that the Judaism becomes more of a worldwide religion. So what happens is these people are dragged away from Jerusalem and they're dispersed all over the countryside. And yet they want to keep tra- practicing their faith. And so what they do is they develop these things called synagogues. These places where men can gather and, and get into God's word and discuss what it means to follow God and discuss the character and the nature of who God is. And these are spread throughout the countryside because of this conquering of the people and the dragging them into Babylon Fast forward 600 years, Jesus has died on a cross. His disciples are left confused and they don't know what to do. And then two days later, Christ raises from the grave and he starts encountering them. And all of a sudden, the people, the the disciples have this reality that Jesus really is the son of God. He has conquered the grave. Like no one in history has died and then come back to life. And yet, this man, Jesus, has done that. He is the Son of God. He has to be the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, then what he said about paying the price for our sin, that really, really, really is true. And like they're excited about that, and they want to have other people understand the beauty of God's love for them and what Jesus has done for them. And you know where they go to spread that good news? They start going to cities, and every city they go to, they find synagogues where they start approaching the people and sharing with them the good news. See, 600 years earlier, God allowed a group of people to be led into captivity, to be dispersed throughout the land, to set up synagogues so that 600 years later, the message of Christ could be spread throughout the world. See, God works in a way that we're so often unable to see the big picture of. The long-range plan is so rarely visible to us. But we do get to live in a day and age where we have this word that tells us so often of God's faithfulness and God's, God's plans for his people, a plan to prosper them, not to harm them, a plan of a hope and a future, a plan of his faithfulness. And we get to live in the joy of understanding that even in the midst of our trials and darkest of days, that we can look upon Scripture and we can realize that man, God continually speaks of a hope that is bigger than our momentary trials. God's plan has a future that will bring us home. Verse 14, he tells the people, he tells the people, 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. We were all in captivity to our sins. As believers, like that's where we started out. Like we owed a debt we couldn't pay. A few weeks ago, um, we had a weird deal happen. We had a we had to set up a new account for a business that we had been doing, a company we've been doing business with for 15 years as a church. All right, like so, the company that we order our food from as a church, we've been doing business with them for 15 years, and then all of a sudden they said, well you guys never filled out an application or we at least can't find your application and we want you to fill out a new application or we're going to stop delivering to you. It's a little awkward. It's like, seriously? Um, So we filled out the new application. Well, you know, one of the things we had to do when we filled out this new application is there was a section where because of the nature of restaurants and how restaurants come and go, they wanted someone to personally guarantee the payment for this food they were going to be delivering. And so Keith and I, on your behalf, co-signed that we would personally be responsible to make sure that U.S. foods gets paid for every food that gets dropped off. So whatever you do, don't default with them because Keith and I got to pay that. We had a co-sign on behalf of the church. But the truth is, on a spiritual front, we had a debt that we couldn't pay. There was a righteous and holy God who demands righteousness and holiness to be in his presence. And you and I, on our bestest of days, our lives look like filthy rags in comparison. So like in the moment that you think the most highly of yourself, like, man, I have done amazing today. I've been so helpful and useful and selfless and I've served humanity and I've been, I mean, I, I, mean, I should, humanitarian of the year, You don't even become close to measure up to the holiness and righteousness of God because of your sin. And so we all had an issue, a problem, a debt we couldn't pay. And Scripture says the price that should have been paid for that debt was our death. That that debt left us with a punishment, and that punishment was eternal separation from God. And yet Christ stepped in and he co-signed the loan And he said, I'll pay the price for their sins. And I will take upon myself the wrath that they deserve. And I will deal with sin once and for all. Because that's God's plan. It's a plan that gives us a future that he will bring us home. And that's the message of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's all wrapped in Christ's love for you and for I. Let's pray.